Live from the Battleborn Broadcast Center, it's Cofield and Company. Here we go. Four o'clock hour before we head off to NBA Finals basketball game four coming up right here on ESPN Las Vegas. It's uh, Cofield. Adam Hill is here. We're live at the Battleborn Broadcast Center. Angels helping out on the site back in our Finley Toyota Studios. It's Ari. Battleborn Injury Lawyers presents the Big Five at Four. Number five. All-Star game, we kind of paid attention to it, but maybe not like we did 20 years ago. Uh, I noticed one of the topics which maybe turned me off from really focusing on the game was, I think, an old guy topic. Did you care at all about the uniforms? I actually think they're okay. Would I buy one of those? Maybe. But, man, a lot of people were fixated on the freaking All-Star game uniforms. They're horrific. Like, I, I didn't I, think they were that bad, I, but I'm not going to sit here and argue with you. I don't. No. I just don't care enough. I think they were awful, but I also am d- going to disagree that it's an old guy topic because I saw, like, you know, I follow a lot of younger people that are actually into baseball, especially, like, younger females that are really into baseball that I think do a good job of kind of covering it in a different way, and they were, like, outraged. They were infuriated about how bad the uniforms were, uh, but I will also say I looked at them. I said, wow, these are incredibly stupid. They are awful. Why would they be wearing these? And then I went on about my day and I watched some of the game and I watched some soccer and did other things. I saw a blog post that said the uniforms ruined the all-star game. Like if the uniforms distracted you that much and ruined the game for you, you probably weren't into the game anyway. Like I, I don't see how you could possibly say they ruined the game. They didn't. They were stupid and bad. Didn't ruin anything. Number four. So, big story of the day. If you believe the A's are actually considering moving here is the Manfred statement that, hey, this is not a bluff. The A's could be going to Vegas. Do you have any sense of what's going to happen with this sheet that they're voting on on the 20 at the Oakland City Council. They need five of the eight votes. I mean, I thought as, as of maybe two or three months ago, they had no chance. But I think they've I think they've kind of... You think the Vegas thing has actually kicked them into gear? Like, hey, there's no more drag in your feet. You got to make a decision. Well, I think also looking around and seeing okay, the Raiders left, the Warriors left. Oakland is going, is about to go from a you know, we're excited here because we're about to go from zero sports <laughs> in a span of like five years to four. Um, Oakland is on the verge of going from three to zero. And that is a stark reality. That does change the perception of the town. You know, I have a lot of family in Buffalo who truly believed, and these are not Bills fans. Like, my uncle could not care less about football. Doesn't care about the Buffalo Bills. And when the Bills were thinking about moving and trying to get out of town, he said... That's it for the city. I'm going to have to leave. There's nothing left. And like, I don't, I'm not saying that the A's mean as much to Oakland as the Bills do to Buffalo, but like there is, there is a sense of, you know, 
pride about a city that has a sports team or that is a major sports team. And if Oakland had zero teams, like this city's not going to end. It's not over. But it does kind of change the perception of the city. It kind of changes the civic pride and all those things. Like, I do think there's a sense of reality coming of having zero teams potentially in Oakland rallying around to get the job done. Number three. So we missed Monday and Tuesday with the show, so we didn't really have a chance to react to Conor McGregor. We don't have to Ooh. talk about the fight with the uh, the snapped leg. But what's happened since has been fun on some fronts and kind of scary and weird on others. Let's start with the fun. Man, people like piling on Conor McGregor. You know why? Because he piled on others. So now it's payback time. Now that his, his skills are fading and maybe more importantly, his desire to fight is fading, you know, since he's worth hundreds of millions of dollars. Who did a better job mocking on him? Logan Paul or Floyd Mayweather via social media? Floyd did pretty good. I think Logan Paul blew Floyd out of the water. Floyd's was kind of elementary. You want to tell people what Floyd sent out the picture? Well, first Floyd sent out a, a betting ticket, having bet, a, bet on Dustin Poirier. I saw that. He said, thanks for getting me paid again, Connor. Right. It was what, $50,000 at plus 135? Right. Uh, so he was excited that, about minus that. minus 135. Yeah, he was excited about that. Um, and then he sent uh, the the picture of Connor, which is the leg snapped in half. And, uh, you know, I'm trying to remember exactly what the caption was. It was like, well, the picture was Connor sitting, looking all comfy in a chair, with his with his leg. right leg fine, and then his left leg was turned out because yeah. yeah, it was someone did a terrible Photoshop. It was awful. But what Logan? <laughs> keep I keep saying Logan Paul. What Jake Paul? What Jake Paul? What Jake Paul did was he got some crazy freaking chain. He says cost hundred thousand dollars. I'm not sure, but on it is some little like figurine, some little I don't know what you would call it of. Connor knocked out the first time around. And now Jake Paul and Poirier have agreed that Poirier will get it and will auction it off for his charity. That's pretty awesome. I think that's super creative. Uh, yeah, I, I think it's a cool move and it's, you know, a way to troll. And then he also came out and said, uh, because everybody was like, wow, Connor's going to have to fight somebody like Jake Paul now because he's, you know, he's on that level. And Jake Paul said, hold on, he needs to win. He's got to show me something. <laughs> he can't, you know, Which, he by can't the way, just walk right in. Is absurd. The pay-per-view just brought in what we think 1.8 million buys, which yeah. in this era is big. Triller's not doing that. Jake Paul no. is not doing that. He's no. not making that kind of money. Connor made tens of millions of dollars but at a minimum. Could it be argued this is the this was the last stand though for Connor just selling on his own to to, to be a, a guy that does huge numbers, does massive numbers just on his own. You can argue it. I don't believe it, though. It might be. I, still, I think he's got the broken ankle excuse. Broken leg excuse, whatever sure. you want to call it. I mean, I, not many people were buying because he was getting dominated when that happened. But, yeah, he's still, you know, he's still selling it like he was going to win the fight. Um, Jake Paul also, uh, big big moment for him. I don't know if you saw the, the statement today uh, that, you know, Donald Trump said he met with the most important, quote, influencers while he was at the fight. Because Donald Trump and Jake Paul both attended. Nice. And uh, Trump said today he met with some of the most important influencers. Uh, lots of topics were discussed, including the fake news media and how to go around dishonest journalists. So apparently Jake Paul is now a presidential or former presidential advisor. So is Addison Rae, who also met with Trump wow. that night. So it was, it was a big weekend. Jake Paul wins the trolling battle. 
meets with former presidents, uh, gets you know tells him some advice on how to deal with the fake news media. All in all, good work for him. But for Connor, uh, not great. And no, I, I mean I, they, the, the Connor side now has gone from fun to what does he do? Why is he sending out pictures? He's threatening kids. What's going on here? I will say, I will say, I don't I don't know how many people remember the first time Connor lost, and how really really well he handled it. I mean, he came out and said, "Hey, listen, you're going to lose fights. Like you train, both guys train. They come out, they do their best." It was the the the, the uh, Nate Diaz night, right. and really handled it well. And I thought, I thought it was actually really good for his brand the way that he handled it and just kind of moved on. Now it's not going that way this time. It's possible because I, I, I want to really pile on how egregious Conor McGregor's be- behavior has been since this happened. Let's also keep in mind he's probably on a lot of medication. So there might be something going on with him. But his tweets and Instagram posts have been pretty ridiculous. Like what? What did he send out? Including the worst of them, where after the fight, I, I think a lot of people have now seen, if you if you listen to the, the microphones that were picking up what he was saying, he was telling Dustin Poirier and his wife in the cage, they better not sleep because he's coming to their house to murder them. He held a gun up to his head, you know, his finger in a gun, and said, like, I'm coming to your house to murder you while you're sleeping probably not the best thing to do uh, that's what triggered dustin poyer's wife flipping connor off in the cage for those right. who saw that um so then do you want to lean on the excuse hey he just got he was he was about to get knocked out he's in incredible pain because his leg is snapped possibly that he's not of right mind possibly but he was saying some of that stuff before the fight too and then uh the other night just in the middle of the night he tweeted out a picture of dustin and jolie poyer's daughter and said gonzo and that was after threatening to kill the whole family right so that is a problem like that's not fun or funny like that's really gross now again it was deleted right away and that may have been again i have no idea is he like jacked up on the morphine or whatever he's taking in the hospital and sends this out and somebody's like dude you can't do that possible but other than that like if that's the reason i don't think it's an excuse but like you at least understand where that was like that to me is I'm I'm fine with trash talk and selling fights and all that. Something wrong with that. Like don't do that. Number two. Well, the the freak out was in full effect. Team USA losing a couple exhibition games. Bounce back last night. Look better. Win over Argentina. I checked a couple days ago on the odds for the Olympic gold, and USA was minus six hundred. Would you bet that? No. But are you getting worried? No. Why are you worried before the Argentina game? No, I tweeted. I tweeted out after the Australia game. I was like, they're figuring out lineups. They also just ended their season. A lot of these guys, right? Like they didn't really, you know. A lot of times they have that longer camp. They come in, have a long camp, and like they're just throwing them out there. Like, yes, you should be able to roll a ball out with this team and just win. But the rest of the world is getting better. There's good players all over the place, and. You know, especially the Australia game. Like, that's a really good, experienced, solid team. Nigeria, not so much, but there's talent there. And and that's a team. They came out and they're like, we could beat the U.S. And the U.S. was like, yeah, we're practicing. <laughs> like, there is a difference between motivations there of those teams. So, yes, they haven't really lost these games in the past. They only lost two exhibition games since the U.S. started sending their best players and the NBA players. But there was, I don't think, any reason to freak out. And then yesterday... Uh, they certainly looked a lot better. Yeah, Brevin Knight, former NBA player, tweeted out, people are missing the point with the uh, USA's uh, men's team. Problem is the rest of the world's gotten better in the days of throwing guys together. 
and they'll just win our over the rest of the world plays together in tournaments for years together. So there's going to be a little uh, meshing process here. Yeah. And, and, and you know, a lot of these guys have played TBSA, but a lot of them have it. And, and they certainly haven't played on the same team and the same floor. And there's things to figure out. And I think that's, that's what they're doing right now. Who plays well with each other? What lineup works best? You know, what lineup can play really good defense? You know, how, how are they going to approach, you know, defensively on handling pick and rolls and different things like that? Like there's all these things to work out and figure out. I don't think there should be too much concern. Now, doesn't mean they're winning the gold medal. There's a lot of really good teams out there, but I think this team's going to be much, much different in two weeks than they are right now. Number one. Team USA and the struggles, good for the NBA Finals or bad? Do you feel like it's overshadowed, the NBA Finals, with with, uh, these long breaks? No, I mean, I kind of like it, actually. I mean, it it definitely gave you NBA stories every day in between NBA Finals games. And it builds it up. I think there's something to, like, after two days. Like, yesterday, you kind of expected you'd turn on the TV and there'd be a game, right? Like, you're like, oh, oh, wait, they're they're not playing? Well, it's NBA and MLB All-Star game. Like, okay, maybe that's why. And then, but it kind of puts it out of of mind a little bit, I think, uh, where you're kind of almost forgetting, like, what happened last game because it's taking so long. But I, I kind of like it. I kind of like, you know, uh, the anticipation, the buildup to the, to the next game. I do think it's a part of why some some people that aren't always tuned in, the numbers aren't great. And I think some casuals are like kind of losing track of when the games are. And, you know, you can't expect that every other day like you would usually expect in a series. But, you know, for people that follow it and want to pay attention to it, I, I think it's kind of cool. You have a couple days to build up to each one. Bucks are going to win tonight, right? I have almost zero doubt. I mean... Uh, you have almost zero doubt. Okay, that was pretty doubt. definitive. I, I, I mean, but this this went before uh, Sunday, so I met a bunch of people to watch the um, uh, the the Euro final on Sunday morning. Uh, you know, a couple hours after the UFC event had ended, and there was a bunch of people from UFC, and I came in, and they were asking me like, "Oh, how should we how should we bid on this game?" And I was like, "It's two two series." They're like, no, it's it's, it's still two nothing. I was like, "That's two two. They're going back to Phoenix. Two two. This is done. It'll be two two going back to Phoenix. Like that's no question." So I thought before that game, and I didn't see anything in game three to make me change my mind on that. I think the Bucks win tonight, and you go back, and it's a three-game series. Can they employ the same plan? Well, it's it's unpredictable with the officials, but, but or is it? Actually, is it predictable that when the officials arrive at these home arenas, once the game starts, they get wrapped up in the atmosphere and... The officiating is going to be a little bit more on the side of the home team. They got so used to being in empty arenas that now the crowd's starting to influence them even more. I, I, I just thought I thought the first two games and some of the offensive fouls that Giannis got were completely ridiculous. Like, yeah, I didn't love them. But, I, I mean, that's also I, – I think he was a step slow too, and that was kind of leading to it a little bit. I just – I think banging down low for position, unless it's something ridiculous, an elbow to the face – Hey, whoever wins the the position battle wins. You don't have to call a foul, and you certainly don't call it on a flop. Fight it out. I mean, I I, I want to see more flops called as technicals. Is what I want. Yep. I mean, that'd be great. It would, it would get the guys to stop doing it. Bottom line is, one guy's close to seven foot. And if you want to put a six seven or six six dude on him, then deal with it. Yeah. And if but if yeah, he, the six six guy doesn't get to beat the crap out of Giannis and then throw himself backwards when he has the opportunity and get the call. Well, it's like, and I, I, won't, I won't mention the specific situation. Uh, it's like there was a WNBA game this year where a coach was like, you can't call that. She's too big. Sorry. No, just because you're bigger than somebody doesn't mean that you you can't be like, it's still a foul. If, if the smaller person is fouling, it's still a foul. You can't say like, 
well, she's bigger. What are you supposed to do? And, and Giannis case, well, he's bigger. How, what are you, how are you supposed to defend him? I, I don't know, but you, you're not Jake, like Jay Crowder is plenty strong and knows how to deal with physicality. Of course. When he throws himself, come on. Just Giannis, ain't, Giannis ain't that but, strong. But if you're not going to call it against Chris Paul in the last round, if you're not going to call him just throwing himself to the ground, yeah, he doesn't. then you almost can can never call a flop. Like that was such an egregious one, and you don't call it now. If so, if it if it's called on somebody, what if you call it a Chris Paul? And he's like, I've been doing this all year. You can't start calling it now. It's the finals. Game's coming up at six o'clock. We go to the pregame at five. In uh, about fifteen minutes, we're going to check in on some more football with Caleb Herring, former UNLV player. We'll talk some more NIL. And guess what? Media days are here for college football, so we can talk. College football looking ahead to uh, what's going to happen this season in some of the bigger conferences and especially the Mountain West Conference. It's the Big Five at Four. Brought to you by Battleborn Injury Lawyers. 570-9000. We want all the smoke. Tweet at Steve Colfield or call 702-364-1100 and let us have it. Hanging at the Battleborn Broadcast Center, it's Cofield and Company. So we got a weird uh, gambling story developing with the WNBA All-Star Game. I mean, it, the, clearly this is the explanation, right? Uh, the total went from 251 and a half to like 196. And your first thought was what? That the competitiveness of the game in terms of defense was it like it was discovered everyone just realized oh wow this is gonna be really competitive are you sure that's the reason or is it this elam ending thing for when i was told it was the bigger reason was that they're gonna be competitive yeah but why'd they set the number so high in the first place books never great question they um, never make mistakes like that well 55 point move on a total and it's the wnba all-stars against the olympic team so they're they're gonna actually use it as prep for the olympic team instead of a showcase which is usually an all-star game so the game will be played differently than we expect uh, but yeah, obviously the Elam ending plays a big role into that as well, uh, which we see using the uh, we saw using the NBA tournament this year or in the NBA All Star Game um, the last two years, uh, and last year was kind of to use it as a tribute to Kobe, and they kind of did that again uh, the way that they ended and they played to co- the they played to Kobe's number. Right? I think they did twenty four last year, when, however they were doing it. But the Elam ending is it changes, so you play to a number instead of playing time for the fourth quarter. And so, did the WNBA announce this today? I never saw when they did or when they didn't. I I've, I I did the same thing you did. I searched WNBA and Elam ending on Twitter. I saw like two tweets about it, and that's it. And they were both today. And I didn't see an announcement on – I did a Google search, nothing. And maybe they just decided today. I, I, I have no idea. This is lunacy. It's crazy. How can you book an all-star game well, if they do this? Fortunately, I'd, I'd have to One ask around. Super what, low. And also, what, they take eight bets on the total in the WNBA all-star game? Um I don't know. I wish I had under 251 and a half. I'm in the over 251. <laughs> God. <laughs> that's, a, that's a tough one. Auto loss. No, you, I, I feel like it just should have been a different number. Um, just that's take a it terrible number. Refund and give it, I, oh, I yeah. You have to, you, have to you, you repost it. I, th- I would think so. But again, I, I mean, it might be in your house rules that there's nothing. Maybe there's nothing there that would. You know, for you know, I'm sure most people out there think sports books just make rules to kind of screw them. Like they don't. Like there's rules for everything. I love. I if I had over two fifty one and a half, and all of a sudden the ending format of the game is different, I'd like to get a refund. Yeah, I, I would think so. And so I'm gonna. I'll, please, I'll talk please, to some more people. Please, in this case, please protect me, sports book. Yeah. 
please help a little help a little help here uh yeah that's rough and um used to, it's so rare that you see something insane like this uh but yeah that that just you know the 55 point move is crazy crazy <laughs> you know i mean if you have the under now you're betting the over leave yourself a 55 point middle I would hope you get the middle. It's about as big a middle as you're ever going to get in basketball. Well, I would say it might very well go under the new total, too. I mean, it's not necessarily going to go over the new total. The new total is correct. Then uh, 50-50 chance going over and under. Um, and you also probably don't want to throw away. You have an all, almost automatic winner. Why would you try to middle when you've already got a winner right, like Don't that? be greedy. Uh, don't get greedy about it. I, I also just texted uh, was just texting with some people. Uh, in the sports betting world that just said, you know the final's going to be like 130 to 125. It's still going Somehow over. Somehow it's going to It's still going over the original number. Caleb Herring's on the way. We'll talk a little NBA finals, also some of the Lakers offseason moves, and the opening up of college football here in just a couple weeks. Cofield and company will be back in minutes right here on ESPN Las Vegas. You are listening to Cofield and Company, live from the Battleborn Broadcast Center on ESPN Las Vegas. Let's bring in Caleb Herring on this Wednesday, former UNLV quarterback, voice of the Rebels on radio as well. He's up with Steven Adam. Caleb? What's up, guys? How you doing? What's up? We got a lot going on. Uh, first of all, we both think the Bucks are going to win tonight. Adam thinks it's a lock that it's a 2-2 series. You? Yeah, I, I'd agree with that. I, I agree with that. I think the Bucks play very much better at home, and Chris Middleton has yet to have you know a really good game in this series. And I think he shows up big in, in Game Four, and I agree. Yeah, get it to two and two. I think when you look at the physicality and the force that the Bucks can play with when they choose to, um, I think they're they have a, a definite advantage. I think they finally realize that in Game Three. Hopefully, they do enough on the perimeter to just make it, you know, not a one-dimensional game and it doesn't have to turn into a 40-point Giannis night uh, to get the win. But I think they definitely have advantages across the court and uh, they, they should be able to use them at home, especially when, when Chris Milton and Drew Holiday play well. So I, I think it's even 2-2 two to two coming back to Phoenix. Caleb's a gigantic Lakers fan, and we're going to have rumors of, uh, you know, this person and that person being added to the Lakers roster in the uh, – Changes in the offseason, so latest rumor is, uh, hey, they may be interested in bringing back Lonzo Ball. Now, the problem is uh, he would take up a good deal of money. He's a restricted free agent, could command, who knows, you know, freaking $15, $16, 20000000 million a year. Is Lonzo the guy you want as the uh, next part of the big three, if they're going to have a big three? You know, I, I, I've said this before on the show. I was a part of the camp that did not want to trade away the young core, and Lonzo Ball was a part of that. Um, I, I'm not going to say he's the best piece. He's the most desirable option, I think, in this particular uh, free agency or this, this offseason for the Lakers. But I absolutely would be a fan of bringing Alonzo back. I think the, the kinetic energy he brings to a game, whether it's with his ability to, to push the ball in transition, um, to work the ball in the pick-and-roll situation, and just moving around the ball, his kind of basketball savvy, I think shows up in, in ways that aren't appreciated right now. And I think... Uh, will be as he progresses. I think the one big thing that that was a part of him being in the trade deal um, was the lack of shooting, and I think he improved that dramatically in his yep. time in New Orleans. So I think bringing him back would be a huge fit for the way the Lakers want to play. Um, I think his basketball IQ, like I said, kind of matches what LeBron 
um, in that sense. A much younger version of it, obviously. Um, but I think he could play well off of LeBron. And I, I think it will be a great, uh, a great addition to bring him back. But, you know, there's some cap issues. And, and you know, New Orleans, with the restricted free agency, able to match whatever the Lakers put out there or whatever anybody puts out there for that matter. So um, it'll be interesting to see how that goes. And if you'd, you'd be interested to see how interested the Pelicans are in keeping him and what, what they're building over there because it doesn't seem like they have a plan going forward either. So um, I, I would love to see it, though. Ball, Lonzo Ball back in L.A., um, then maybe his dad gets back into the mix. I know you're excited <laughs> about that, Steve. Always, man. Come on. Like I, like I, like I, like I joke all the time. Uh, when the guy was on with us, I, I actually told him I wish he was my dad. Uh, all right, let's. We, I, you know, it's funny. I just got um, an email on Mountain West Conference Football Media Day. It's not like I didn't know about it, but you know, thinking about it, it's next week. We got Big Twelve Media Day going down right now. So college football is about here. Tell us what these last couple of weeks are like uh, for college football players. Like, what, what's your recollection of getting ready for the season and kind of going down the stretch here before you're back on the field? It's exciting. I mean, it's one of the things, the anticipation of the season is, is, is part of the excitement of the season, if that makes sense. It's like Christmas, right? The, the buildup to Christmas is just as exciting as opening up those presents. And that's what this, this part of the season is. It's, it's the offseason, get ready for camp. Um, the first installs of practice for, you know, for actually preparing for an opponent rather than just playing against yourself and getting better. Um, you get to kind of see the fruits of your labor going into fall camp, whatever you've been working on over the summer, um, and getting back with the guys for the first time. Like, you know, a lot of guys take a break during the summer months and go back home to their, to their respective locations, and now you're coming back, and the football guys are the first guys you see, and that, that's always exciting as well. And and just the buzz across the country when the rankings start to come out and you see where you fit or the projection of the conference. You're not supposed to pay attention. Every coach will tell you you're not. But, you know, those kind of bulletin board material things start to, to come into fruition. And, uh, you know, you're, you're a few weeks away from live bullets, and it's always an exciting time. Um, and, and then you get the preseason accolades where, where everybody's projecting how good they're going to be. Um, and, and, you know, you pay attention to that kind of stuff. It's, it's, honor, it's an honor to be mentioned in those kind of awards. So, yeah, it's an exciting time, and I think fall camp is as gruesome as it is once it starts. Everybody who who loves the game of football is excited to start fall camp at least, and you know that that too may change a couple of weeks into it. But it's always a fun time to get back in the pads and, and get things going again. I wonder if it's different as you move along, like when you're a junior and a senior. Like I imagine, you know, freshmen and sophomores, guys that are just getting ready to start, um, are probably like every hour of every day just like. It's almost football. It's almost football. It's almost football. Like when you're when you're an older player and you've been for a couple of years, do you have to kind of find time to get away from football? Like this week, next week, knowing that you literally are going to be consumed by this for the next four months. Like, do you have to kind of step away a little bit and say, like, all right, I need to do something else right now to take my mind off that because it's not going to happen again for a while? Yeah, absolutely, and, and that's absolutely true. I think that's a part of growing up into the game and, and being able to focus. Um, for you know the duration of a, a long twelve week season or whatever you know it comes out to be, if you're, you're playing in the postseason, you have to make time for life. And I think that's what the summer months are good for with basketball going on. That was always something that you could still be with the guys, the team, and and you know bonding over over something, but you're not thinking about football and you build friendships and relationships off the field that I think are a distraction from the field. If that makes sense, even though you're doing it with your teammates, those kind of things are necessary. You realize that you get older because now. My energy is reserved for when I need it. You know, when when those 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 film sessions during camp, those ten eleven hour days where you're just nonstop football. Um, back when two days were were actually gruesome. Those those days, 
you're going to need that energy. You're going to need to have some sort of some built-in stress relief, if you will, to be able to focus when it when when it really counts. So I do think you find time for it. And like you said, the younger guys, I think, don't really haven't really experienced fall camp. I think a lot of people don't realize that when you're in high school, camp is not football is not the same way in college. A lot of these colleges, you go away and get off location and are really secluded from the rest of the world um, and, and are solely focused on football. It's the first time they've done that. And there's kind of an overload to begin with. Just, you know, the, the that football becomes your life in that way. And you can get consumed with it and, and burn out because of that. So it's important to find that balance. I think in your later years as an upperclassman, you start to realize it. And you don't take camp as seriously, in a sense. You, you, don't, you don't exert yourself too much because you realize it's a marathon, not a sprint. Um, as long as you get everything that you need and your technique is sound when, when, when the season starts, you'll be fine. So, yeah, it, it's definitely a learning experience going through the fall camp. Caleb Herring's with us. Let's wrap on this one, Caleb. We should say congrats to uh, Charles Williams, the uh, Rebel running back, who is back for his uh, super senior season, and he was just named to the uh, 2021 uh, All-American academic, academic All-American studies in uh, journalism and media, general studies. Really cool honor and especially meaningful considering what the guys went through, not only trying to play football, but trying to freaking learn during this COVID year. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think anybody who's a part of that um, academic, uh, academic honor is, is to be commended because they're doing two full-time jobs essentially as, as student-athletes. Um, and then you add to that Charles Williams in his own personal experience and found out, you know, he had a daughter also yep. during this time. So the, so he's juggling a lot here and excelling none the least. So I, so that's, that's, that's exciting and, and, and good for him and good for the program that, you know, they're fostering this and we're doing something right during that, that wacky year last year with the academics where their guys were able to stay on track and Charles Williams is one of those. And, and coming into a season where academics aren't an issue, I think that's one of the things that student-athletes go through or – Sometimes teetering on the on the on the border of being eligible is a distraction, and I, you know, for Charles Williams to not fall into that loop, and and for others on the team to also follow in his lead, um, the guys the guys cut out a great career for himself. If nothing else, made a name for himself in the Las Vegas community as a respectable young man, as a as a as a well educated young man, and um, as a great football player to boot. So hopefully, you know, with all the new rules and, and things about name, image, and likeness, <laughs> he can spin that into something profitable for himself. But he's definitely made a name for himself in the world of academia as well as on the field. So, good for Charles. Caleb, good job, man. We'll talk to you next week when we're out there at uh, Mountain West Conference Football Media Day. All right, guys. Look forward to seeing you. Take care. There he is, Caleb Herring, the former Rebel quarterback, smart guy himself, brilliant on the broadcast uh, in law enforcement. So, he's done really well for himself, and we uh, love having him on every single week. John Rahm. 9-1, to 10-1. We'll ask Brian Blessing with the Open. Don't call it the British Open. The Open Championship on the way. Is Rom the favorite? Actually, a value play at 10-1. to 1. So for people that don't know, I was born with a club foot on my right leg. Uh, so from knee down, my leg didn't grow at the same rate. So I have very limited ankle mobility on my right leg. It's a centimeter and a half shorter. So what I mean by limitations is I can't take a full swing because my right ankle doesn't have the mobility or stability to take it. You are listening to Cofield and Company, live from the Battleborn Broadcast Center. So I learned at a very young age that I'm going to be more efficient at creating power and be consistent from a short swing. up that was a big weekend for you guys all the cool kids 
around Las Vegas, hang out for the British Open overnight. We'll get to that in a couple of seconds. That was John Rahm on the way back talking about his club foot at birth. And uh, we didn't we didn't give the gruesome details uh, to give you the cliff note version. Basically, you know, his foot was uh, turned at the ankle and like bent in. They have to snap and break the ankle, uh, basically like at birth. And then they have to recast it over and over again. And he was saying his his leg shorter. So really great, great question and great discussion of, you know, why he has such an efficient short swing. Well, you know, some people are swinging like animals. Rom's super smooth. He's like, I have limitations. I can't swing like everyone else. When you first played it, I thought it was Conor McGregor talking. So do we need a rim shot? Are we, oh, are we now mocking on people with foot ailments? Just Conor. Okay, just Conor. Wow, everyone's piling on Conor. Brian Blessing's with us. He loves golf. Uh, what's up, Brian? Well, I, lo- I love this tournament. I- I'm not going to be loving sleep, I'll tell you that. Uh, by next Tuesday, I'll be a zombie. Uh, you don't have to mention the place you're going to hang out. Do you, are you guys going to do your your uh, yearly hangout one night or two nights? You usually meet up with a bunch of uh, sports bettors, sports book people, have a, a big shindig in the middle of the night as you watch the British Open. Well, yeah, I mean, but tonight we're doing a, a pool, a draft, uh, so there's a little pool going on, and then Sunday morning, you, you've been there. It's you know, it's it's made the rounds, but yeah, Sunday morning, uh, I'm pretty normal. The leaders tee off around six thirty. I get there around six. Many of the people you know or vampires get there around one in the morning. I'm usually there around one. Are you in the yeah. share? You have some you have something blocking. Yeah, I'm talking. I'm talking to one of them. <laughs> of course. Yeah. Are you in, Adam? Um, most likely. Yeah. Okay. I think All so. Right. Good deal. Good deal. <laughs> All right, Brian. Let's break it down a little bit. Um, well, first of all, I was talking about Rom, and he's nine, ten to one. He's the favorite. Is he a good bet at that number? No, but he's a, he's a very deserving favorite i mean he had the memorial one it got taken from him when he got pulled off the course with covid then he comes back he wins the u.s open uh played very well last week in the scottish open i mean he's a very deserving favorite there's no reason to think he won't be there but you know the way to play golf when you're making the bets is look for something on the longer side and your hope would be rom would be four five shots back going to Friday night, and you might get him at 12, 15 to 1, and hope he has a big day on moving day. I mean, unless you're all in on a guy like that, I mean, he's the only guy you bet, you got to spread it out. I feel like at this course, like every day could be moving day because the conditions can be wild and you yep. can have crazy comebacks. You nailed it, Steve. I mean, the, the history of the course, I mean, guys like Ben Curtis won here. Uh, Adam Scott had it in his back pocket and he imploded. And Ernie Els won. And the, the other guy just absolutely gave it away was Thomas Bjorn the la- a few years, a lot of years ago when they played. Basically, they were chiseling his name on the Claret Jug, and he spent about 20 minutes in the sand trap and gave it away. That's what happens with these pod bunkers. Somebody can absolutely come from out of the clouds on, on Sunday specifically. What type of player should we be looking for that have a good chance to uh, to make a move and, and a, a kind of player, not necessarily a name, but that might be farther down and uh, we could look at that type of player to win? Well, Adam, I, I'll say this. There's something about guys from Texas. The West wins of Texas. Ben Curtis was from Texas. Uh, Justin Leonard won an open, was from Texas. Jordan Speed, I think, has a big shot this week. He's from Texas. A guy, a guy like Ryan Palmer is 140 to one. He just played good in the Scottish Open. You want a low ball flight, 
You want to be able to fight it through the wind. You have to have creativity. You got to be a good putter, and you have to be willing to keep the ball on the ground. And that plays right into a guy like Jordan Spieth's hands because his short game's spectacular. But for the most part, like DeChambeau, everybody seems to be fading DeChambeau. He can hit it a million miles, but he hits it really high. The winds are supposed to be steady, sustained winds, 15 to 18 miles an hour, all four days with gusts up to 25 miles an hour. So preferably a low ball flex the way I think you should be looking. Brian Blessings with us. Sports Grid Radio, Sirius XM Channel 204. He does it out of the uh, studios of K-Shop locally. Uh, before we get to some angles on the NBA uh, Game 4 and the finals, uh, we got the expansion draft next week. Could be kind of interesting here. We've got a freeze, right, on trades coming up. So uh, you think VGK could be active before the freeze? I think Friday, by Friday, I'd be pretty surprised, honestly, if Vegas did, and I'm not saying anything blockbuster-like, but Vegas doesn't have to deal with Seattle. There's a trade freeze that's imposed on Saturday, and then Seattle takes over the league for five days. Vegas can pluck the meat off the bones of the teams that are trying to you know, protect guys on their own roster. And if they've got two guys and they know they're going to lose them, you know, okay, Seattle's going to get that guy. I'm going to move a guy. Vegas doesn't have to deal with Seattle. I could see Vegas maybe, you know, a little piece, a guy that could be a role guy. But I'd be shocked if Vegas wasn't in on something before the weekend. Who are uh, some of the big names being mentioned? I saw uh, Duchesne in some rumors. Uh, there's the deal with the Sabres and Skinner. Well, Skinner waived his no-move clause. And they should, they would fire Ron Francis before he ever made a pick if he took Jeff Skinner. I mean, the guy's making $9 million a year. He's got you know single-digit goals. Basically, Skinner did the Sabres a favor, said, yeah, I'll waive my no-move clause because I know they won't take me but it helps the Sabres protect the guy they won't lose. Um, Duchesne's another name that's out there uh, that the Preds are throwing out. I don't know that Seattle is going to go anywhere near or do anything like Vegas did. The Vegas thing, we were talking about it today. If they'd have won the Cup, that would have mirrored you know, Lake Placid, the miracle on ice. That was still the most unbelievable thing ever. I've seen a season win total of 63 points for Seattle. I think Seattle's going to be an expansion team. The Vegas thing was Haley's Comet. <laughs> Brian Blessing is with us. By the way, when is your? how often do you guys do the podcast, the Light the Lamp podcast? Uh, well, it's been once a week, but we'll do one uh, for the – it's on the Sports Grid and all the podcast platforms. I do it with Cam Stewart. Uh, we'll do one after the expansion draft, after the draft. Uh, so there'll be several coming up. I – Steve, I'm convinced. I mean, there are going to be some massive deals. I know, you know, Eichel's name's out there. Vegas has yeah. been attached looking at Eichel. There are a lot of big names. A lot of teams are going to completely change the core of their teams. This is going to be a circus act on the draft floor. All right, NBA game tonight. Uh, you feel like the Bucks have finally made that adjustment. To be honest, as the lead guy, everyone's kind of falling into place. Maybe they get a little better play. From Middleton, Giannis dominates. Maybe he can get uh, Aiton in some foul trouble here. We're both on the Bucks. Yeah, I am too, and I and I, but not with a lot of conviction. It's pretty square. I look like the favorite the, in the over. Um, I think the familiarities kicked in. The one thing with I'm trying to decide. You tell me what you guys think. 
Giannis came back, and I didn't know. It seemed like maybe Milwaukee got out of sorts because he was back, but they had something going with the smaller lineup. Holiday specifically struggled. Middleton did his part. But now it seems like they found a groove again. I think they turned this into a best of three. I, I wouldn't discount Phoenix's chances, but it seems, you know, maybe Paul, it's only one game, but could Paul be wearing down just a touch? If Milwaukee plays really good defense again tonight, I think it's a best of three. All right, Brian, we appreciate it, buddy. Thank you so much. Always a pleasure, guys. There he is, Brian Blessing, Sports Grid Radio, Sirius XM Channel 204. Uh, some breaking news out. Remember all the Maria Taylor stuff last week with Rachel Nichols and all the leaks from ESPN trying to make Maria Taylor look you know, ridiculous and greedy, saying, oh, she wants $5 million. It looks like she's in line to get $8 million in a deal with NBC and host Football Night in America. So as you suggested last week, like she wasn't playing some game of chicken with no backup. Like they, She has other offers. Was that number reported? What the eight million? Yeah, Mike McCarthy for ah. uh, yeah. Well, you you I guess you you overheard some chatter at some of the stuff yeah. you were covering this weekend, and you thought you had a story there. Well, I, I did. I was I didn't really think it was a story. I just said I heard she was getting eight million from NBC. I was like, wow, that's crazy. And now it turns out sometimes rumors are true. Coming up, Game Four, NBA Finals. Thanks to Ari. Thanks to Angel. We'll see you.